Today we will be reading Proverbs 5. Please stand for the reading of God's word. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of God. As we begin, would you pray with me? We open our eyes and our ears to your word this morning, O Lord. And we pray that you would write your word, that you'd write your worth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on our hearts and in our lives as we attend to it this morning. And I pray this morning, that just as this passage in this study has been um, a guide and a comfort and a challenge and a faith-instilling experience for me in preparing it, I pray that you would work your strength far beyond my weaknesses and use the delivery of the sermon today and the study of our passage. Use it similarly, I pray, for these brothers and sisters here Today and in the days ahead, I pray that you would guide and comfort, challenge, and instill faith and love for Jesus in their lives as we look to your word this morning. We pray these things in confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week in Proverbs chapter 4, and again this week in Proverbs chapter 5, 
this phrase and this theme keeps coming out, uh, this phrase, ponder or, or consider your path. And it came up several times today. It came up last week. We're going to look and consider that particularly today. Ponder and observe your path. When we were about 20 years old, uh, my wife Laura and I went on a family vacation, and we went to Montana. We were from Iowa, and we went to Montana, and we went to go hiking. Uh, After three days in the car from the flatlands to the mountains, we couldn't wait to get up into the real mountains, but we had no idea what we were doing once we got up there. About six miles into our hike, the trail ended somewhere around nine or 10,000 feet in altitude. But we wanted to get to the top, and we were determined to get there. We were totally ignorant, though, of, of the size of this adventure when we began. Uh, we were simply in tennis shoes and shorts. So we climbed up through the snow after the path ended. And the snow was so deep, we didn't even know how deep it was. We'd fall through up to our hips, climb out laughing, and just keep going. And then at one point in the hike, we saw someone descending from the top. And and it was was a middle-aged man coming down. And when, when he got closer to us, we saw that he had a parka. He had gloves and hat, walking sticks, and a full backpack. And... And I didn't think too much of it, but I, I, I looked him up and down and was impressed by all the things he had. And he said, we said to him, which way and how much further to the top with all the confidence in the world that we were going to reach it. And, and he looked us up and down, a group of flatlander teenagers in shorts and tennis shoes, and said, I really wouldn't go much further if I were you. You guys just don't look prepared for what's ahead. And we were from Iowa, so, so snow didn't scare us. We thought we could do it. And so we kept going and pressed on. And eventually we got to this clearing where there was a frozen lake. We got to this clearing where we could see that a storm was coming in. And so we we realized, for real, we're not going to make it to the top. We better get down as fast as we can. And so we we hustled down in a fraction of the time as fast as we could trying to find the trail from our tracks in the snow. And this story has, has become a family legacy and an heirloom for us as we joke about it. And we always bring up, and I always think about that man that we saw, and this man that said, you're not going to make it. It's not a good idea. And he was right. He had more experience. He didn't have the foolish pride we had. And now we can look back so fortunate and grateful that, that we made it down safely, because it could have been very bad. And we've, as a group, been studying Proverbs week by week so far this year and hearing a lot about wisdom. And so as we continue that study this morning, I want you to clearly grasp a little bit about wisdom, that, that as, as we talk about wisdom and we look at Proverbs, wisdom is not a secret sauce or, or some kind of special level of knowledge for you to achieve. One leading biblical scholar put it this way, that in Proverbs, what makes a person wise or foolish is not their IQ, their education, or their knowledge. It is precisely the ability or the willingness to heed godly advice, to calculate consequences in advance, and to make good, God-honoring choices in the fear of the Lord. I'll read that one more time because I really want you to get it. 
In Proverbs, what makes a person wise or foolish is not their IQ, their education, or their knowledge. It is precisely the ability and the willingness to heed godly advice, to calculate consequences in advance, and to make good God-honoring choices in the fear of the Lord. So I think it's important for us to realize as we look at this passage this morning that this teaching and this instruction from Proverbs is different in nature from law. It's different from the Ten Commandments. The Proverbs are not a concrete law to fulfill with the threat that God will punish or reward obedience and disobedience or, or, or strike you with a cursed life or with lightning if you disobey. But the message here in Proverbs, and especially here in chapter 5, it's not thou shalt not, but instead it's, it's fatherly instruction about what it means for us to think accurately and to live faithfully as people, as children of God, and as believers in Jesus. And so this morning as we open Proverbs chapter 5, we find a wise warning about sexual temptation and choices. We find a description, not of threats God is making, but, but a description of natural consequences and the quality of life that follow our choices. And I think you're going to look at this passage, and I hope you'll look at this passage this morning and say, wow, these, these things in Scripture really are true and accurate to life and to experience. And because this morning the, the topic of sexual sin and temptation is such a sensitive and personal topic to us, before we jump into the study of this more closely, I do want to take a second and, and pause and slow down and just make a couple pastoral comments about what we're doing here this morning and what this passage is doing. And first, first, I want to tell you that from beginning to end, this passage and this message is not intended to beat you up. It's not to say, don't, 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 or shame, shame, shame. But instead, it's a message of the grace of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. With a father saying to his child, believe me, and more importantly, Believe God in these things. Secondly, many of us, I want to recognize, have lived in the shadow of consequences and realities for our decisions. Probably most of us in some way live in the shadow of others' decisions, having been hurt by the choices of others, living now in the fray of consequences that have come. So I want to recognize that this morning. Because hopefully, and I think what's here in Proverbs 5 is that we can, we can find grounds in God's word and in his gospel to persevere, to develop wisdom, to develop our values and our choices so that we ourselves can find comfort and so that we ourselves can forgive, that we can find forgiveness that we can give forgiveness, and that we can love again. And so with both A and B, this message is not here to beat you up, to heap guilt, or to make you feel bad this morning. And it's not just to lay blame on you or on others. That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message here in Proverbs chapter 5 or elsewhere in Scripture. And it's not the tone of this morning. So please, I'll, I'll ask you, please don't, don't let your minds, your emotions slip in a direction where you start dwelling and 
in these things and consequences of your life where, where you loathe yourself or you loathe, loathe others, where you blame or you drift off into painful or frustrating thoughts about people and the past. But instead, if that starts to happen while we're talking this morning, try to catch yourself and jump back in with us. Jump back into this passage about the good news of Jesus because there's such a rich set of truths here in God's word to guide us in wisdom and to guide us in godliness, to bring us hope, to point you to Jesus' comfort, to his forgiveness and his restoration for you. Because in Jesus, as you're going to hear this morning, there's humility and there's forgiveness. There's newness of recreated hearts. And in this, we find hope. We have his truth. And we also find comfort. And so this morning, since Proverbs 4 and 5 talk repeatedly about pondering and and considering or observing our path, this morning I want to look carefully at three paths here in God's word, and here in Proverbs 5. First, we'll look at the path of folly, ruin, and death. Second, we'll look at the path of wisdom, blessing, and life. And third, we'll look at another path, which is the path from death to life. As we look at the first path this morning of folly, ruin, and death, I want to reread verses 3 to 6 which says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And here, the advice from parent to child is, is that like a fancy meal or an indulgent buffet, Sexual temptation promises us pleasures. It promises us life. But the reality is that it has a hefty price tag, and we have to live with the consequence. The world and our culture are going to offer you fulfillment in your sexual choices, but but many of these things are foolishness. They're pointing you to a problem-ridden path that's going to seem like honey, but in reality, it's poison. Here in this passage, it talks about sweetness and bitterness and wormwood. And and wormwood, if you don't know, wormwood is what's used to make absinthe. It contains a chemical called thujone, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, But but wormwood is, is not sweet like honey. It tastes bitter, and it's potentially deadly. And so what is promised in the temptation and what is actually delivered do not match up. As someone who loves fishing, maybe you know that about me, maybe you don't, I can't help but think of, of, of fishing bait and fishing hooks. Uh, I actually, I have a, an uncle who has a hobby and as a business creates the most beautiful bass lures. And he makes these instructional videos and puts them on Instagram about how you position the hook and the lure together in order to, to best hide the hook and trick the fish. And that's... That's what sexual temptation is so often like. We don't know, or we don't want to believe. The price tag of the consequences. 
but we follow the intrigue or, or, or the promise of instant gratification. We live in light of the fear of missing out or, or with the false idea that this is going to establish some kind of commitment between the two of us. And these things lure us in. But, but as Proverbs tries to suggest, what, what happens if they leave you? What, what if the disease or the pregnancy? What if we get caught and damage all these other relationships and people? What if this industry really is destroying lives? But we, we have to take these things seriously. They, they seem in the moment like a distant or a far-fetched outcome. But in reality, this pretty packaging, this honey, is a sharp hook, and it's bitter poison. And so when temptation comes, we should know what it's going to look like. It's going to come, and it's going to promise to give life in the fullness. But the destination, the path it's taking to is death. There's no wisdom in starting a relationship with sexual acts. There's so many ways that this canon does go wrong. How our culture, popular media, how they portray sex so seductively and promisingly. We have a, a long history of shallow women characters and unrealistic bodies and things that promise looseness results in pleasure and freedom and happiness. But as we're, I think as a society, uncovering more and more These things and these people are, are creating narratives and portrayals. And, and these people like the Harvey Weinsteins who've been so, so instrumental in doing this are often simultaneously manipulating and hurting people and taking advantage of them. And so the promise and the allurement of sex and pornography and adultery and lustful fantasy, we need to know and, and believe and see the reality that these are empty and foolish. At best, it's just a vapor of a moment that the pleasure doesn't deliver anything better than a moment. But the truth of God's word, and here in Proverbs 5, teaches us more than that, that, that reality is so much worse. These allurements and choices produce destruction. They wreak havoc, and they wreak ruin on our lives and on the lives around us. If we... Read a bit more from Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 8. It says, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your heart to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline in my heart despised reproof. I did not listen. To the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors, I, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And here this, this selection of verses shows us what is the impact of the sexual folly. It depletes us physically. It puts us in danger. It depletes us financially, socially, emotionally, relationally. The cost is so high. Specifically, this describes that, that your life is used up, that your wealth, your time, your energy, 
your health, your hard work are used up, that they end up bringing no benefit to you and your family. And here at this point, this hypothetical young man that the father's talking about has resisted the advice in the words of his teachers and instructors. And later in Proverbs, as we get to chapter 9, verses 7 through 9 will outline this and summarize it so well for us that, that someone's character, wicked or wise, is determined by how that person responds to correction and reproof and to other people's attempts to serve and to shape them. How they heed godly advice and whether they fear the Lord. And as we read in verse 14, the situation comes to a devastating conclusion for this young man that, that he's found himself in utter ruin in the assembled congregation and, and in public and in the community. And this is the message over and over in Proverbs. And we can relate these teachings on sexual sin to other teachings more general in terms of sin, pride and jealousy and hate. We, we can relate those things as well, but but just like Proverbs describes, we can observe that there's still something, something about the consequences of sexual sin that are especially lasting and lingering, that affect others in ways that are not like stealing bread or lying or manipulating or, or having pride, but adultery and addiction affect a whole community, and they affect people very personally. A stolen car can be replaced. Pride can be hidden. A lie can be corrected with truth. But, but if great-grandpa had an affair, it goes down in family history as a main fact about his life. And it restructures the whole family so many times. A couple months back, I was sitting at a table with six Christian leaders. And we were talking about 23andMe, you know, the genetic testing, uh, I don't know, platform, business, whatever you want to call it. And as we were talking about it, it came out that out of the six of us, two out of six found out from 23andMe that they had siblings they didn't know about. And we kept talking, and we were so blown away by this. And everyone around the table had some kind of, some level of personal experience of family brokenness in regards to adultery. And what's, what's more is that here in Proverbs chapter 5, which is consistent with the testimony of the other scriptures, is that it warns us that the consequences of these kinds of sins are even worse than ruin, worse than a wasted life and hurt to others. But as we read, as we get to verse 22 and 23, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he's led astray. One thing that, that tempta temptation tries to do is to rid us of our fears to make us feel secure. It produces thoughts, and, and, and those tempting us speak words like, no one will know. You won't get caught. 
It'll be just this one time. We'll be safe. You deserve this. The marriage is already frustrated, complicated, or over. Or maybe even someday we'll be married. Or maybe it it just says, of course, we presume, we know God will forgive this because God is forgiving. But but God's word here in chapter 5 comes down to us like an experienced climber from the mountain. And it describes that these choices are so much like an animal bound and headed to slaughter. A sheep lost and alone in the wilderness. What began with naivete continues to persist against instruction and against reproof, and it leads to habits, to addiction, to ruin, to pain, and even to death. Probably most of you are familiar with with Romans chapter 6, 23, right? That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to listen to that, to that wisdom from the trail, which wisely says, for your own good, don't be deceived. Don't be enticed. But turn around before you go any further. And as we turn to point number two, to the path of wisdom and blessing in life, I want you to see that there's a second path that's presented here in this fatherly advice. A path that's categorized not as foolishness, but as wisdom. It's a positive path that avoids all the ruin and the consequences that follows bad choices. It's a path that leads to blessing, as God intended. It's a path which is precisely and simply this. That sexual intimacy and activity are expressed, are to be expressed in marriage and in love between a husband and a wife. Verse 18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And so here contrasted with the path of folly and ruin and death is a path that actually and in truth leads, leads to blessedness and to delight and to love. And most of us conceptually probably accept this, right? I, we accept it as a general and an abstract value in life and, and probably as a summary of what the Bible teaches. But still, for, for each of us functionally, in the moment of temptation... <laughs> We start to cave and, and we start to doubt and, and, and we start to rationalize and compromise and we might want to keep heading down that dangerous path. Do you remember the story of Joseph in Genesis? Particularly Genesis 39 that after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he's taken as a slave into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife repeatedly tries to seduce Joseph. But Joseph's response, he says, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And so Joseph fled not just 
out of the room, but entirely out of the house. He got out of there, even leaving behind his garments as she grabbed him. And despite being wrongly accused and imprisoned, God remained with Joseph. Those are the words of Scripture. God remained with Joseph, giving him steadfast love and favor. What then looked like the path of ruin for Joseph turned into the path of blessedness, not just for Joseph, but for his whole family. Eventually, Joseph was elevated in position serving Pharaoh. And Joseph, at that time, has the opportunity and he forgives his brothers. And God uses Joseph to save his family from a deadly famine. But if Joseph would have gone down that deadly path of temptation, it might very well have been his destruction, as well as his family's. But, it, but instead, he, he fled the path of temptation and he took the, pla- the path that led to blessedness and life for himself and for others. Just, just a quick practical and pastoral point here from Proverbs 5 as well is that I think that this passage demonstrates for us an important role for parents, an important role for those even here among us who are are further advanced in years to instruct children, to instruct those of us who are still young, to give us encouragement in these ways and, and teach us the wisdom of these paths. Because here in Proverbs 5, it's not always easy as a parent. It can be It can be awkward and unsure what to say and how to instruct our child in these ways and when to do that. But I'd encourage you this morning to to go back and and to study and find find a way to summarize Proverbs chapter 5 or or 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, which teach us about these things, which include warnings, descriptions of consequences, appeals to the Lord, promises of his faithfulness, as we try to teach our children and speak to one another about these things. And so we as parents and as brothers and sisters to one another, we, we have to play the role like the fatherly figure in Proverbs chapter 5, seeking to guide, while at the same time, the children, the son, and each of us have to make our own choices ultimately. So I want to turn now and look at the third path. The path from life, sorry, the path from death to life. In this last couple weeks as I've been reading and and praying and thinking about all these things, I think one of the heaviest truths that's hit me and one of the most important truths that's hit me for our conversation here today is, is the truth that I think it's true for for any of us, at least the age of teenagers and adults, that we all have sexual sin, each one of us. No matter what we've done or have not done externally, we all have it. 
And Jesus taught that, that it's not just the adulterer who commits adultery, if you remember, but anyone who looks or thinks lustfully of someone else. Verse 21 in Proverbs 5 said, For a man's ways are, be, are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, that's the Lord, the Lord ponders all his paths. Ultimately, God sees and assesses every deed. Nothing in the dark or in secret escapes his knowledge. And I think, I think that should give us each so much humility as we look at ourselves and as we look at one another. It should give us humility and not judgment. For, for example, we as evangelicals, as, as a generalization, we can often make such an easy target of, of the LGBT community and of, the, of that topic, calling out sin, while still here in our own churches, we have other rampant sexual sins. And I think that, that should hit us hard and it should lead us to not lead with judgment, but lead with humility and, and be willing to come alongside and serve others, seeing that we all have sin as well. And we can do that, faithful to Jesus, knowing that, that he too, as our example, as our teacher, was not quick to condemn. But he regularly, if you remember, surrounded himself with and accepted those who the Pharisees considered to be sinners. And in this, Jesus becomes a trailblazer. He creates a new path that he clears, that he creates, that he teaches us about. It's a third path now, cutting from the trail of folly to life. From death and ruin to rescue and restoration. And unlike any of us, Jesus was the perfect example of the faithful son in Proverbs 5. He did not give in to temptation in the wilderness or anywhere else in his life. And, and in that way, Jesus, like Joseph, but so much better, Jesus provides a perfect obedience and a wisdom which serves as the grounds for him to be able to serve and save his people. Jesus' obedience means the deliverance of his family, of his children, of his brothers and sisters, not just from famine, but, but forever, from the death and from the consequences that sin bring. In the New Testament, it repeatedly tells us that his perfect obedience is considered ours if we merely have faith in him, that he took our place as the Lamb of God, paying the penalty that our sins deserve. We read it here in, in verse 23 in Proverbs 5, that the wicked, wicked person dies from a lack of discipline. And because of their great folly, they are led astray. And this, this word, this phrase, led astray, I want to highlight it for a minute. Because it's the same word, it's the same idea spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 34, which is describing the lost sheep. The lost sheep who are lost, wandering, scattered, and who are perishing. 
But then, in Ezekiel 34, the Lord promises. He promises that he's going to seek them out and that he's going to rescue them. That, that the led astray and the, the lost, endangered sheep will be sought out and rescued. And Jesus picks up on this idea in John chapter 10 when he says, I am the great shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he is the Lamb of God, offering himself as a sacrifice, taking away the sin of the world by washing us and by cleansing us in his blood. He was entangled and he entered the, and conquered death when he died on the cross and when he rose three days later. And so through, through Jesus' forgiveness and through his righteousness and before the face of God, the Bible promises us that, that whoever places their faith in Jesus will be fully and finally forgiven. Those who are in Christ by faith will find now no condemnation. And yet, we should note that the gospel is not to be used as an excuse for our, our past. It, it, it calls us to both faith and repentance. And repentance is that turning away from sin that entangles us and turning towards God and in seeking to make things right with one another. So, for example, if someone has taken someone else's spouse, it wouldn't be acceptable for them to just say, Jesus forgives me, so you need to forgive me too. But they should say, what, what I did was wrong. We should say, what I did was wrong. I can't undo it, but to the best of my ability, and with God's help, I wish to change. And I'll do whatever I can to minimize the pain. And I'm so very sorry. And so realistically, we need to recognize this, that, that these natural consequences of the ruin, that, that the pain and the destruction, these things, they might remain as we continue to walk life's path. These lingering effects still burden our lives, our realities, and our hearts. But, but there's good news here. And we see in this truth that those things which are described as natural consequences and ruin that, that are ongoing in our lives, these are real, but we have the promise that in the life to come, when Jesus comes again, he's going to restore all things perfectly. He's going to eliminate that pain and make all those things null and void, even though we continue to deal with them now. But in the new heavens and the new earth, will not deal with them anymore. All the pain and the toil will be gone. The consequence is gone. All will be forgiven and restored. And we'll all have the same common salvation found in Jesus. And so I want to point out briefly in closing that, that this is a consistent message between Proverbs 5 and what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, I'll point you to that again for your further study, that as it talks about sexual temptation and immorality, Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, Paul urges, flee from immorality. 
because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and because we have so graciously been bought and delivered from the path, we have no business on that path anymore. And that this message is consistent. We don't avoid sin in order to be saved, but because we have found Jesus, because of what we found in Jesus, we flee it, because he's worthy of our faithfulness, because of what we have. Because like the wise mountain climber, God has so reliably instructed us on these paths. And so, friends, I want to leave you with this thought that that Jesus has cleared, that he's created, and that he's told you about a new path. A path for both you and I. A path from death to new life, from the wages of sin to the free gift of eternal life, from the pain and the ruin of consequences to the promise of a restored creation when he's going to come again. And what's more, he, he's promised even now to work this new creation in our hearts now. And so he saves by grace, and he also enables you by grace, giving his Holy Spirit for when you're lost, when you're weak, when you're discouraged on the trail. And because of this, it's true, and it's possible that you and I, we can continue growing in wise and faithful living. And we can throw off sin that entangles us by his grace. And as 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We're so thankful for your word, which comes to us as a reliable guide, full of wisdom and full of truth, especially full of grace in the Lord Jesus in his gospel. We ask this morning that you'd lead each of us to faith and repentance and to humility. And we pray that even as we continue to fail today and in the days and years ahead, you'll be with us, forgiving us, growing us and guiding us. Give us strength and even give us the longing and the right desires we need as we seek to turn away from the many temptations and desires and entangling sins that find us and pursue us. We give you thanks and praise, O Lord, that you are good, so good to us beyond what we deserve. Amen.